In Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, again, we have the Lord Jesus Christ as we left off about three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, we left off with Jesus Christ uh, in the garden. And um, we came to that point to where he was being arrested. He was being betrayed by his most familiar friend. You might call him his best friend, Judas. And uh, his disciples, to whom he loved, uh, they've all forsook him. And so he stands alone. Uh, I want us to begin our reading at verse number 53, but before we go there... Uh, I want us to focus on verse number 43. Let's stand as we give reading to the Word of God. In verse number 43 of uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, we have Jesus now in the garden being arrested. The Bible says, While he was in the garden immediately, yet spake, while he was speaking, here comes Judas. And of course, we know Judas being one of the 12 disciples. And notice that Judas comes with a great multitude. And they come heavily armed. They come with swords. They come with staves. And they also come with the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. So they got the whole, I mean, they got the Supreme Court uh, justice coming there with them. Uh, they have the, what we call the Sanhedrin. And usually the Sanhedrin were made up of at least 70 different leaders. And so they're all coming. And uh, they're coming to arrest Jesus. We read in verse number 44, And he that betrayed him had given him a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss the same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. So Judas didn't want him to get hurt. He just wanted him to be arrested. He wanted his, his price uh, of a slave that he sold Jesus out for. He wanted that silver. And so... He has done his thing, and he hopes they'll keep their word to do what they promised they would do. But we know he's not going to be treated safely. So Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. Now we begin in verse number 53. So in verse number 53, they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were as assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. Notice Peter has followed. He's following afar off even into the palace of the high priest. So he sat at the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Notice the priest is not living in a humble little house. He's living in a palace. And the chief priest and all the council sought for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. They found none. And so they found some that would bear false witness. Many bear false witnesses against him, but their witnesses agreed not together. But they used it anyway. And so there arose a certain uh, uh, and bear false witness against him, saying, He, or we heard, here's what they heard, that he will destroy the temple that, that was made with hands. Within three days, he said, I will build another made without hands. <laughs> and so that's what he said he would do. He's going to tear down Herod's temple. With his own hands, it took 40 years in the building plus, and then he's going to build one up without hands. So neither did their witnesses agree together on any of these things they were saying. So the high priest stood up in the midst. He asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Jesus being quiet the whole time while they're telling all these crazy lies about him. 
But notice in verse number 61, Jesus held his peace. He answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, said unto him, Art thou Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And they will see that. Well, the high priest then, oh, my goodness, he rent his clothes. <laughs> and they were probably expensive clothes, too. And said, what need we any further witness? You have heard the blasphemy. What thank you? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him to cover his face. They buffeted him to say unto him, prophesy. And the servants that struck him with the palms of their hands. And the Peter, and so here's Peter. He's beneath the palace. I don't know what that means, evidently. He must have been under a porch or something. And so there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And uh, when she saw Peter coming, or warming himself, excuse me, she looked upon him and she said, Art thou? Or thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But notice he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand. I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. So there's his first denial. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. So there's his second denial. And a little while later they stood and by him and he said and said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art Galilean. Your speech agreeeth there too. In other words, you know, like people from the south, their speech will certainly betrays them. If you're from the Bronx, we know where you're from. And he began to curse. Wow. Now he's cursing the Lord and he's swearing. Now, the swear here is not what you think it is. He's promising them. He's swearing on an oath. I do not know this man. So <clears throat> he goes on in verse number seven, in verse number 17. So the second time the cock crows. Now, Peter now is reminded of the words that Jesus had said to him before. Notice it says in verse number 17 where Jesus said, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Word thrice means three times. You're going to hear that cock crow twice. You'll already deny me three times, Peter. And Peter said, no, not so, Lord. He said that vehemently over there earlier in this chapter. He said, all the rest of these disciples may deny thee, but, Lord, I will never do this. I'll stand with you. I'll fight with you. I'll die with you. But uh, we see what happens here. And there's a message in all of this. Heavenly Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. All right, so anyway, we have three thoughts that I want to bring out. I hope no one's going to be moving around because what I have to say this morning is going to be a help to you, I hope. And uh, if you're moving about and, and talking on your cell phone while I'm preaching or, or texting someone while I'm preaching, I'm going to be watching you and that's going to distract me from my message and we don't want that amen. amen so we're talking about first of all the wonder of betrayal and the reason I say the wonder of betrayal because how could they do this with what he's already done for them 
And then we want to talk about the why of betrayal. Well, God has a reason for everything that happens. And then we want to talk about the weeping that results from betrayal. So let's look at, first of all, the wonder of betrayal. The Lord has visited his people. He has proved that his visitation is from the Lord. Uh, and he made it very clear by the credentials that he brought with him as he was in this world that he is the son of man, that he truly is the only begotten of the son of God, uh, that he is God incarnate in human flesh. And the works that I do, uh, these are works that my father does through me. And so there's not anyone that I've ever known that walked on planet earth that was able to do what Jesus was able to do. God did raise up a few prophets that performed some miracles, but nothing like the miracles that Jesus performed. Jesus was able to give sight to those that were born blind. He was able to take someone that was born with palsy, that was withered and crippled up, and their arms and their legs, their limbs were all twisted and deformed, and just by simply touching them, bring total healing to their body so that they could rise up and walk. He was able to give people that were born probably with eyes that were so deformed uh, that there was no way sight could ever uh, be given through those eyes, and yet he spit upon uh, the clay and rubbed dirt in their eyes, and they went to wash, and their eyes were like uh, the eyes of a child, 20-20 vision. They could see very clearly, and Jesus was able to raise up the dead. He raised up a young man. He raised up a young girl. He raised up Lazarus. Uh, Jesus was able to perform all these wonderful miracles, and they saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Uh, they even heard the thunder and the voice of the Heavenly Father as he spoke from heaven, and yet for all of these things, they would deny him. The disciples would forsake him and run away. Uh, some of these Pharisees and scribes that were there and saw these things, and yet they're all Hades bent on putting him to death. It is a wonder. The question is, why? Why? Why would they do something like this? Because God had blinded their eyes. Why did God blind their eyes? Because they refused to receive the truth while the truth was with them. And uh, God will only give us truth for so long, and after a while, he says, all right, you don't want to believe it? I'll blind your eyes so you don't believe it. We see in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse number 37 through verse number 44, and these are the words of Jesus. Jesus is speaking here, and when he, he was come nigh, or it is recorded here by Luke, that when he came nigh, even at the, the descent of the Mount of Olives, there was a whole multitude of disciples that began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works that they had seen. Because of the mighty works that they had seen in verse number 38, they were praising him saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, <clears throat> when they're talking about glory in the highest, that's in reference uh, to the fact that they were giving praise unto the Lord. Understanding that Jesus is the Jehovah. He is uh, the glorious Messiah. 
And so the Pharisees understood what they were saying, and the Pharisees that were among the multitude said unto Jesus, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered, he said unto them, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou hast at least in this thy day the things which belong unto peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Jesus wept as he looked over Jerusalem, as he looked over the people, because <clears throat> the things that he had shared with them is now going to be hid from them. And he gives them the reason why. Notice in verse number 43 of Luke's gospel, chapter 19, For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around, and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even with ground, and thy children with thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You see, they were told when the visitation would take place. They were given by the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, beginning with verse number 20 through verse number 27 concerning the visitation of the Lord. There were <clears throat> Arabian magi that came all the way from uh, Baghdad all the way, some five, six hundred miles journey they came uh, to Bethlehem because they understood his visitation had come. And yet, here we have all of Israel blinded to his visitation. They refused to believe the scriptures. Their hearts were darkened. Uh, they just simply <clears throat> refused to look to the word of God. They had the Bible right there. They had all the Old Testament prophecy. They could have read what Daniel had to say. They could have read the prophecies that were found in the book of Isaiah. They could have read Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 6. They could have read all these different passages, Isaiah 11, but they refused to look. And as a result of that, God brought judicial judgment upon them, and God had blinded their eyes. God gave them every opportunity to look, but they refused to look. We find that today. People just refuse to look. We find today that there is a visitation. God has an appointed time at which he visits every one of us, and that visitation is not to be shunned. That visitation is not to be turned away from. Your day of visitation, when it comes, it may not come that way again. And God will not always strive with man. And God will, and at times, <clears throat> it happens very suddenly, give them over to reprobate minds. And the Bible makes it very clear that we need to make sure that we keep our hearts open before the Lord. We read uh, especially <clears throat> in the words of the Lord where he made it very clear in the book of Romans that we must believe from our heart and we must confess with our mouth. We must be willing to hear what the preachers say. Blessed are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. 
So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And yet there were those that refused to believe. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse number 11, that God, on those that refuse to believe, will send them strong delusions, and that they should believe a lie. Why? Because <clears throat> they did not believe the truth. Therefore, they might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And there are some people that choose unrighteousness over the righteousness of truth. They just simply don't want to hear it. I remember years ago witnessing to my wife's cousin. He said, well, uh, in order for me to receive Jesus, do I have to give up? And he had a can of beer in his hands, and he had a cigarette in his other hand. He said, do I have to give all this up? And I said, well, no, by the grace of God, the only thing you have to do is receive him. But you have to understand that when you receive him, he's going to take your want to away. He's going to give you repentance. And he'll take that want to away from you. You'll no longer have a desire to hold that in your hand and hold this in your hand and take the drugs that you have in your pocket. And he said, what if I don't want him to take my want to away? And I said, in other words, you don't want to repent of your sins. You don't want repentance. He says, no, I don't. I enjoy my sins. I take pleasure in my sins. And so <clears throat> we find that there are those with that kind of an attitude. Jesus declared that the reason they have that kind of attitude is what we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning with verse number 8. He says, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so they love the teachings for doctrines of the commandments of men rather than commandments of God. That's why we have churches, they people, you know, they want religiosity without true born-again Christianity. Uh, they want to repent of nothing. They want to remain in their lifestyle. They want to continue doing the thing that they've always done. And they want to feel no conviction uh, for their sins. They want to feel comfortable in their sins. And so they want no repentance, but they want the assurance of heaven without repentance. So they look for a place to where uh, they can find that kind of teaching. The Word of God makes it very clear. The time will come. I believe we're living in that time in a greater way today than ever before, where we are living in that Second Timothy chapter four era, where the Apostle Paul said, "And uh, Timothy preached the word and be instant in season." He said to Timothy, "Reprove and to rebuke and to exhort with all long suffering, for the time will come. The time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap through themselves teachers having itching ears." And they will turn away from the truth unto fables and lies. And so that's where we are today. And God has made it very clear that that condition is brought on because of their heart. And uh, <clears throat> I know of those that I've pastored down through the years that have never repented of the lifestyle uh, that they were living in supposedly before they got saved. Uh, and eventually they just drop out of church or they end up going somewhere where they're not being taught or preached or encouraged in any way to repent of that lifestyle. And they think their religiosity and the teaching of man is going to be okay. 
But God makes it very clear. Yeah, there is the teaching of man out there that people find in churches, but God says he hates that teaching. The teaching of the Nicolaitans, by the way, is something God hates. The teaching of the Libertines is something that God hates. The teaching and the doctrine of Balaam is something that God hates. And boy, do we see it out there. Out there promoting and, and selling merchandise, uh, getting people to buy this. This is going to help you get to heaven or... People telling uh, preachers out there, assuring people that, hey, you know, God accepts you just as you are. Uh, you don't have to worry about uh, uh, repentance because God loves you just as you are. And, and he embraces you just as you are. So you can continue living in, your, in the lifestyle that you're in and God will accept you. And what a tragedy that's going to be when Jesus Christ comes. Uh, because God does accept. God calls for repentance is found in the Bible. We're going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're, the Bible says to preach repentance uh, toward God in his name. The apostle Paul on the day of Pentecost preached repentance, repent and be baptized. The apostle <coughs> John the Baptist uh, the last of the Old Testament prophets that was pointing people to Jesus preach repentance. Jesus preached repentance. It's in the Bible. Amen. Take repentance out and you've taken a lot of the preaching of the Bible out. Amen. And that's what they're doing today. So we have the why now as we move to the betrayals. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus Christ is now being betrayed and there's no one that will testify for him. We read again in Mark's gospel, verse number 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest. And we find that there, were no one, there was no one that would testify for him, uh, but there were those that would testify lies against him. How sad that is. Uh, <clears throat> they had the proper legal process that assured him of a fair trial. But no one was willing to make sure they followed that process and followed the procedures. There were lawyers that understood uh, what was written in the Talmud and in the Torah concerning uh, a trial and a judgment. If they had followed the procedures, if they would follow their own guidelines, Jesus would have gotten a fair trial. The whole thing would have been dismissed. But no, they were hell-bent on convicting Jesus. They had conflicting testimonies, and they knew it, but yet they used those testimonies. And so they knew that Jesus was not getting a fair trial. But what's so amazing is that there was not one scribe, these were lawyers, that would stand up in his defense. Some of them were good men, like Joseph of Arimathea, but he, he remained silent. Uh, <clears throat> Nicodemus was another scribe and a lawyer, but he remained silent. They just simply stood there and they said nothing. The disciples, they fled. They were not standing there. They were not arguing on his behalf. They were fearful and they were afraid. Well, we see that today. But well, I tell you, the wicked, they had no problem standing up and testifying against him. And their voice was loud and their voice was heard. Well, has anything changed today? No. 
I mean, we have the voices of the GLGBT movement in the halls of Congress screaming out for their rights, for gender equality, for sexual freedom, for same-sex marriages, while the righteous remain timid and whisper or say nothing at all. And so this is where we're at today. And yet, uh, <clears throat> while they're preaching, we should be the ones that should be preaching. And God made it very clear, preach the word. But boy, they're preaching their, their sinful lifestyle. They're preaching their wicked ways and their right to live that lifestyle. And they're preaching uh, to silence us, to bring about uh, <clears throat> canceled culture to those that would in any way violate their culture. Well, <clears throat> we remain quiet. They tell us to shut up, so we shut up because we're so fearful and we're so afraid of being totally silenced and being canceled out. And so here we are. And so <clears throat> we read in Mark's gospel that Jesus Christ <clears throat> chose his moment for his time of suffering. You see, the amazing thing here as we read through it that Jesus Christ is not allowing them to direct him, but he is directing them. And uh, sometimes we fail to understand that. All of this, Jesus says, I have power to lay it down. I have power to raise it up. And so Jesus is really the one in control here. And that's the thing that sometimes we overlook. Notice in verse number 61, he held his peace and answered nothing. The high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? In chapter 14, verse number 62, Jesus said, Okay, now there's my moment. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been moving this event to this moment. I have purposely remained quiet until you made that comment with that question. Amen. Are you the son of the blessed? When Jesus Christ heard that, then Jesus Christ answered. And Jesus said, yes, I am Christ, the son of the blessed. He said in verse number 62, I am, and ye shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus knew exactly what the result would be. He understood that their loud voice <clears throat> would cry out with, with rage to have him crucified, that they would condemn him for blasphemy, that they would rent their clothes. Jesus knew all this was going to happen, but he was controlling the moment. He understood where he had to go. He understood what he had to do. And he was controlling all the factors that would lead him to that moment. And so we must understand that Jesus is also controlling the moments that we live in. So it wasn't Jesus then that was on trial. It was these Pharisees and scribes and these disciples that had forsaken him uh, and uh, others, the multitudes that he had healed and he had fed, that he had preached to, that followed out and cried out, Hosanna in the highest. 
uh, <clears throat> calling him Jehovah in the highest, Christ in the highest. And now they were turned tailing on him and they were backtracking and they were standing with the scribes and the Pharisees. And so they are on trial. We must understand that when the Holy Spirit comes and nugs at our hearts that we are on trial. We must understand that we're going to be accountable for the way we respond for those tests that the Lord gives to us. And so they were on trial and they lost. And we must understand that there are going to be a lot of people out there that choose religiosity. They choose uh, something other than Christ rather than repentance through the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. And they're on trial. They choose religion over God. They choose religion over Christianity. Uh, by the way, Christianity is not religion. Christianity is a relationship. And they choose religion over a relationship with Almighty God. And there are those out there that choose Christ, and when they go through problems and heartaches and sorrows, they murmur and they complain. I like what Spurgeon said. How ready should we be to hear slander and ridicule for Jesus' sake? Do not get into a huff and think it a strange thing that people should mock you. Who are you, dear sir? Who are you? What can you be? If compared with Christ, if they spat upon him, why should they not spit upon you? If they buffeted him, why should they not buffet you? Shall your master have all the rough of it? Shall he have all the bitter and you have all the sweet? A pretty soldier, you, to demand better than your captain. Wow. What a tremendous quote. How dare we complain when we go through problems when Jesus Christ suffered more than any man. <laughs> I can't help. I was watching a program the other day where Marshall Dillon was shot four times and he survived and was able to kill the villain that shot him. And I thought, well, how many times has he been shot over the episodes that that, uh, that were filmed and found out he had been shot 56 times. The poor guy was knocked unconscious 29 times. He was stabbed three times. He was poisoned once. <laughs> and yet never complained about what he went through. And I mean, you get shot once for the Lord and you're complaining and griping. <laughs> uh, you know, hey. Stop complaining or get out of Dodge. That's all I can say. <laughs> we need to be careful about our complaining. We need to be careful <clears throat> about running with the crowd. We need to understand. Uh, the Apostle Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 8 through 11. Paul said, ye do wrong, you defraud that your brethren. You know... Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, 
nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We need to remember that, to not forget that, that when we go through problems, when we go through trials, and like Marshall Dillon, you've been shot a few times, you've been knocked unconscious a few times, you've been stabbed and you've been poisoned for the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> rather than for Dodge City, rejoice in the Lord. And give thanks unto God. Amen. Be thankful that you're kind of worthy to suffer with the Lord. Because all who live godly shall suffer persecution. Amen. And just accept God's grace to get you through it. And yet we have those out there that are constantly complaining. Well, let me bring this thing to a close. The weeping that comes from those who regret their betrayal. You see, Peter, he understood why he had done wrong. Oh, Peter, you know, he said, no, 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 Lord. These may forsake you, but I will never forsake you. We read over there in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse number 29, when Jesus made it very clear that you're all going to be offended. He says, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus said, verily, I say unto thee, that this day, this day, even in this night, before the cock crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But notice he spake the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Of course, the rest of the disciples said the same thing. You need to be careful that we not say something stupid like that. But by the grace of God, the Lord will, I'll stay faithful. With God's help, I'll stay faithful. And when we are faithful, by the way, we don't brag about it. We don't exalt ourselves. We don't look at others and say, well, you weren't faithful, but look at me. I was faithful. No, we don't exalt ourselves above others. No, we just simply stay faithful. Faithful to the Lord by deflecting all the grace over to him, all the praise over to him, all the achievements over to him, and just simply say, well, it wasn't me, but it was Christ working through me, and I just thank God for his grace that was upon me, and I pray that his grace will remain strong in my life. But never come to that place to where you exalt yourself above others and never allow yourself to get to that place to where you are cursing the Lord because you are so angry with what you are going through. Rather, exalt his name. The Bible makes it very clear in Philippians 2 and verse number 8 that he being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. So God hath highly exalted him. God hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in the earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you're in a problem or in a pickle or in a time of heartache and sorrow, Praise his name. Don't curse his name. Exalt his name. 
and just simply say, by the grace of God, I know he's going to get me through it. And I just want to say, my God is able, my God is strong, my God is always with me, and I know that he'll never forsake me. And even through this trial, I know that he will get me through. I can stand for the Lord. I can, by his grace, die for the Lord as long as I know the Lord is working through me. When you stand outside the Lord and we think it's all about us, then we fail. The Apostle Paul made it very clear that we are to praise his name and exalt his name and lift up his name. We're never to get to that place to where we think that we can stand. Remember, we read over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 about all those Old Testament saints that were not able to stand. They failed God time and time and time again. And the Apostle Paul made it very clear in verse number 11 that this was written for our example and for our admonition. And then he went on to say in verse number 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand to take heed lest he fall. You see, when you read the Old Testament, that's why it's important you get into all the Bible. And you read about these great men of faith, these heroes that were stood as giants, and sometimes they became discouraged, and sometimes they failed the Lord. Then we are reminded and admonished to understand, well, who are we? So let's not beat up on Peter too much and on the rest of the disciples, because if we were there, we may do worse. It's only by the grace of God that we stand. So by the grace of God, we live for him. We understand that our lives uh, can either diminish his name or exalt his name. I'm reminded of what Peter says in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Amen. How often have I heard Christians murmur and complain and gripe at God and, and weep and cry and bawl about how God has mistreated them and how others have mistreated them rather than praising his name and giving glory unto God that by the grace of God they were able to get through that trial. Well, anyway, in closing, let me just say this. Don't ever say what Peter said. Never. <laughs> Never. But by the grace of God, I will do this or I will do that. Peter said, Lord, I will never forsake you. But he did. And then he became the weeping prophet. For the rest of his life, it is said that Peter wept. 
realizing how he had failed God. We read these special words that I just read to you from 1 Peter chapter 4. We get to that place to where we must understand that in everything we can bring glory to his name. I told you this story before. I'll close with this. We had a lady in our church by the name of Loretta D'Ambrosio. She was a widow. Her husband served in the military. He was an officer in the military. And they had uh, spent about 50 years of their marriage, maybe a little longer than that. And then he came down with cancer and he died. But when he passed away, he left her well provided for. She had a beautiful home. Uh, she lived in a really nice neighborhood. She always dressed really nice, faithful to be in church every time the doors were open. And when I would go to visit her, she'd always say, Pastor Dolan, you don't need to take time to come by and visit with me. My God is so good to me. Amen. He gave me a wonderful husband, and God used him to provide for me and take care of me. And every morning when I wake up, my God is right here with me. I say to Jesus, good morning, Jesus. How are you? He's always here with me. That was her attitude. About three or four years later, and they were sweet people. We were going through a building program, and, and uh, she and her sister found out that my wife and I, we were putting our salary back into the building program for six months, or I believe it was three months, to help the church. That's all that we could do. We wanted to make a sacrifice. We, everyone, we asked everyone in the church to make a level of sacrifice so we could get that new building up. And so that's what we could do. We were just living by faith. The church found out what we were doing. We lived better by faith than the salary they were giving us. And Loretta D'Ambrosio found out about it. They went out and bought us a large freezer and filled it full of porterhouse steaks, New York steaks. I mean, that whole time we lived on steaks. We never lived like that before. And I went over to thank her, and she said, you don't need to thank me. My God has been so good to me. He's been so wonderful to me. And this is just a blessing from the Lord that he wants you to have. Well, then after about three years, she finally comes down with cancer. She's riddled with pain, and she's praising God that she can endure the pain. Finally, I met her at Madigan Emergency Room where she was dying. And there was nothing more they could do for her. She had already withered up to about 90 pounds. She looked like nothing more than skin and bones. She reached up with her quivering hand and she said, Pastor, why did you come by? My God is with me right now. He is so good to me. He has never left me. And I just want to praise him. Oh, Pastor, you're so busy. Go help someone else. My God is with me. That's the life we need to live. I tell you, it's those kind of people that give you encouragement when it's your time. When I die, I want to die like that. Not complaining, but praising my Lord with every head bowed. And I think of what my Savior went through for me. 
moves my heart every time. To think that he would love me so much that he would be willing to suffer those things for Jim Nolan. The question that I ask myself is, Lord, help my life to be worthy of thee. I would not bring reproach to the name of Christian. That I would not trample over his blood to go back to the sins that he saved me from. That I would be faithful to grab a hold of every visitation that I have experienced throughout my life. And each time the Spirit of God comes and knocks at my heart pricks my soul. I want to be careful to be sensitive to those visitations. Never to allow my heart to become hardened and my mind darkened by sin. I wonder if this morning, is that your prayer? If you're here and you don't know him as your Savior, will you open your heart and trust him? With heads bowed, is there anyone out there say, Preacher, God's speaking to my heart about something that was preached this morning. Pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? Slipped up your hand. Thank you. Several hands. Anyone out there would say, Preacher, I'm concerned about God's visitation in my life. I'm not sure that I'm saved, and I certainly in no way want to push him away. Have my heart turned to coldness, my mind darkened with sin, only to reject him. Preacher, pray for me. I want to get that settled this morning. Anyone like that this morning, would you just lift up your hand, friend, if that's you? All right, let us go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand, if you feel the need to make an altar where you stand or come forward and kneel and pray, we want to give you that opportunity. If you're watching by live stream this morning, I believe we have several this morning. God speaking to your heart, I trust you'll make a decision to serve God. If you haven't trusted him as Savior, that you'll invite him into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, bless our time together. Thank you for your precious word. We ask, dear Heavenly Father, that you'd move within our hearts and Help us, dear Heavenly Father, to stand firm for you. Thank you, Lord, for your unspeakable gift. Thank you for what you were willing to go through for us, what you went through for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name as our pianist plays.